Listen to the word of God. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our people. It is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I am also a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and disciples and a large crowd went with him. And he approached the gate of the town. A man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. And when the Lord saw her, he was moved with compassion for her and said to her, Do not cry. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearer stopped. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man stood up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This word about him spread throughout all the whole of Judea and all the surrounding region. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living God. Amen. Mark Marin, some of you may know that name. He is a podcaster. He's a comedian. He, he does some acting. Um, he's a person who's very public about his past. Uh, he has overcome drug addiction uh, and trauma of a very dysfunctional childhood. Um, during COVID, his partner, the director, Lynn Shelton, died suddenly. Uh, she had a, an acute form of leukemia, but was undiagnosed, and she died. And so he has been very public, if you would, about just dealing with the grief of that. And there's a new HBO special uh, that's entitled From Bleak to Dark. <laughs> so if you, if you want cheered up, I would not necessarily encourage you to, to uh, watch it. And he uh, is an interesting guy. I mean, he, he can be very profane. He is got a certain anti-religious bent about him. He's not very shy about that. But he starts out the show saying this, I don't want to be negative, but I don't think anything is ever going to get better ever again. <laughs> and uh, and it's, uh, it's kind of funny and, and maybe true, right? Christian Wyman uh, is a great poet. He's one of my favorite living poets. And in his 30s, he's probably in his 40s now, 
he was diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer. Now, it's one of those cancers that, you know, the medicine keeps it at bay, right? But he had just fallen in love. His career was starting to, uh, to happen, and he got this diagnosis. And this is one of his poems that he wrote right after his diagnosis. And the word ribbon, it's an old English word. It means wood. It's, it also means split open, okay? God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. The things that bring him near made the mind that makes him go. A part of what man knows, apart from what man knows. God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. So this idea of split open. I just read the last stanza. The earliest stanzas are about nature, right? things in nature that are broken and naturally split open. But this last, this last stanza is about humanity. What is the nature of the human condition? That God made a mind that can send God away, which is kind of interesting, right? Trees, animals, they praise God just being, right? But we humans have the option to chase God away, we have the option not to believe. The divine we know and the divine we don't understand. This world's a broken place. I may be going out on a limb here, but I have a pretty good idea uh, where to place a lot of the blame for what's wrong in this world. I was reading um, a social media post this week by allegedly thoughtful Christians, emphasis on allegedly. And um, they were criticizing Augustine's view of fallen humanity, which is no crime to criticize Augustine, right? Uh, some of his views are, are problematic, and he also is a little dated, right? He's 15 or 1600 years ago. But he's also the founder of the way Western people think, okay? One of the most brilliant people to ever live. And it's no crime that they were criticizing his thinking, but then they started doing armchair psychoanalysts, and, you know, analyzing uh, what was wrong with them. And I actually think that should be a crime. I really do. I, now, I'm not thinking a felony, maybe just a misdemeanor. You know, anybody who says stupid things uh, about these kind of things, you know, give them community service, things like that, you know. But, but there should be a cost to saying things that are stupid. Stupid like that. Matter of fact, there's a bit in Mark Marin where he compares old stupid versus new stupid. He says old stupid would be something like when you said that, there, you know, somebody said something really stupid and you say, hey, that was really stupid. And old stupid would go, yeah, you're right. Okay. New stupid is, well, that's your opinion. Right. New stupid is, I heard it on the internet. <laughs> so it must be true. Right. What these misreaders of Augustine were being critical about was about his view of humanity. And Augustine is the one who most clearly and, and profoundly and sometimes over the top came to the conclusion that humanity is broken, that that's the state of the human race, that it's bent, our wills are bent. We can choose the good, he said, we just can't attain it. <laughs> we want to do it, right? We, like, I know I should do that thing, but we just can't, can't quite get there. 
And that doesn't mean everything we do is wrong, not at all, right? We often are like Patrick Mahone in the Super Bowl. Matter of fact, I think most of us should get MVP awards for living, right? I think it's time to think about it. Because, all right, you know, our body's aching, but we still got up, we made the coffee, and we got here, okay? You're anxious about the world around you, but you're still doing your job, you fed the kids, you gave them their lunch, and you didn't kill anybody in the, in the process, right? You're afraid, but you still get up and do what you're supposed to do. You have deep disappointments within you, but you still earn a living, you still try to be a good neighbor, you still put one foot in front of the other. You know, one of the great things, you know, one of the things, I've worked with high school kids my entire life, and one of the things I always like to tell them is, you know that kid you think has it all together? They, they don't. You know the kid who's most popular? Sometimes they're not very nice. Or the person who's the, the top athlete in your school? He or she is afraid of the next failure. We're all broken. In one way or the other, we're all plain hurt. We're subject to all the changes of life, to the wear and tear of our body. And then there's the wounds of the heart and the mind that we carry. Some of them are scars. Some of them are still festering. It would be interesting, or maybe not, <laughs> if we all had the answer of total candor when asked, how are you? I have to tell you, I had a friend who was going through a really hard time, and he and I were doing a speaking engagement together. He was a pretty prominent person. There was about 400 people in this room, and... Uh, this person came up who knew him and was excited to see him, and he was, a, he was a professor, and she goes, hi, professor, such and such. I'm so glad to see you, how are you? To which she said, you know, I'm depressed, I think my marriage is ending, and I may have a drinking problem. And she was, she could, I can't even describe her face. And she walked away. And then as she walked away, I turned to him, I go, the next time, just say fine, okay? <laughs> There's a time for this. That was not it. Okay, but I knew that stuff too. But he was, you know, partially that's how he started getting well. It took him a while, but that's partially how he started getting well. I'm not sure that woman was ever well again, but he, he was better, right? So if we think about this, maybe this helps us try to think of Jesus as the healer. Because some of these stories seem kind of far from us, Right? You know, some people get all mixed up in, you know, either debunking the myths or trying to defend the miracles. That's not what I'm interested in doing today. A first century person expected signs and wonders. And the Hebrew scripture that Peter read was the hope of what was going to happen when the Messiah came. When all that horrible stuff in this world would stop. Pain death, war. It's interesting, I'm not, we didn't read this text, but after this text that we read today, John the Baptist is in prison waiting to be executed. And he's hearing about Jesus and he started to wonder if he was wrong about Jesus. <laughs> so he sends some of his disciples and says, hey, 
Are you the one we're waiting for or is there someone else? In other words, you're making me kind of nervous, Jesus. And Jesus said, tell John what you've seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the good news brought to him. And then Jesus says this, blessed is anyone who takes no offense in me. I think Jesus is still an offensive person. And we need to be careful about that. So we have these two miracle stories. The first one, a centurion. Okay, so that's a Roman centurion in charge of 100 people. Theoretically, that's what they're in charge of. Sometimes more, sometimes less. And he could be serving as kind of an occupying governor. He's probably serving one part police force, maybe in fire company. That's sometimes what they did. But what we know about him is he's a Gentile, probably a, a, maybe a Roman, not necessarily an Italian. They weren't, all, they weren't all Roman in the first century. But he was someone who cared about the people that he was basically occupying. He was an occupier, but he cared. And he was generous. He even built their synagogue. So here's a guy that knew something about public relations. Maybe he was actually interested in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his valued slave. Now that's problematic, right? A little bit. We need to be aware here that this person that's sick is, is a centurion's slave, but he cares about him. And he tells Jesus, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to be in my house. Pretty interesting, right? Everybody else is kind of trying to get a piece of Jesus, right? But this guy says, you know what? There's something about you I'm not worthy to be in your house. Reminds you of Peter, right? Please get out of my boat. But I see that there's something about you. You're a man under authority. Now, I'm under authority of the Roman government. But the implication is you're under a higher authority. So I just need you to say it, because I believe you can do it. And then Jesus is amazed. I like Jesus does get surprised periodically. He's surprised at this person's faith. And then he says, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Now, that's not to be an insult against Judaism, although it's been used against Judaism. But here is Luke, a Gentile, telling a story for his Gentile readers that say, you know, you're part of this too. There's, there's precedent for you to be a follower of Jesus. Now, the second story is, is full of pathos, right? A woman has lost her husband and now lost her only son. Not only is she enduring a double tragedy, but in her culture, if you don't have a husband, if you don't have a son, you don't have any means of support. And often the options were not very good for women in that kind of vulnerable position. So it's not only tragic in the sense of the loss, but there's a foreboding about this woman's future. It says Jesus is moved. Jesus is, is touched by her pain. That's really important. 
Jesus is moved by the pain of the people around him. He's moved by your and my pain. And he brings the young man back to life. Could have been a teenager. He's older than 12. And it says fear seized them, and they glorified God. (laughs) Something's going on here, they said. And I like these two stories because faith and reason kind of come together here, right? Because the centurion makes a reasonable assessment of what Jesus can do for his his servant. So there is a place for our thinking in all this. But then there's also this sense of Jesus meeting both of them, this woman who's desperate, this powerful, wealthy centurion. He, He meets both of them at the point of their need. And I think that's a very important thing for us to understand about our own journey. And it's partially why Lent is a gift. Because Lent is to be a time where we reflect on our mortality. It's not a time when we say, look at all the strengths I bring to you, God. Boy, God, you're lucky that I'm on your side. Yeah. No, it's, it's a time where we think about our, our weaknesses, our sins our mortality. But that's precisely, as the stories keep showing us, is where Jesus, Jesus can do something with that, right? Jesus can't do much with the people that I'm okay, you're okay. But the people who, who I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm a tax collector, I'm a woman who's lost all her hope. I'm a man of power, but I don't have any power over this disease. He can help people like that. That's that's why we come to him at at the points of our need. David Budbill, who uh, passed away a number of years ago, was uh, posthumously named the People's Poet of Vermont. Wrote a poem that was published after his death called A Poem About Pain. I can feel myself slipping away, fading away, withdrawing from this life, just as my father did. When the pain you're in is so great, you can't think about or pay attention to anything but your own pain. The rest of the world and all other life don't matter. I think about my friends with dementia, cancer, arthritis, and how much more pain they are in than I am, but it does no good. Their pain is not mine, and therefore no matter how magnanimous I might want to be, Their pain is not as important to me as my own. I like the honesty of that poem. We all face struggles. We all have challenges. We all have pain, whether it be physical, emotional, or spiritual. What hurts in each of us is where God meets us. Comparing ourselves to others may be helpful for perspective, but God meets each of us at the point of our need. Jesus healed the sick. And it is legitimate that we pray for those we love and ourselves in the midst of physical ailments. But we need to be reminded that even when the miracle happens, it is temporary. Everyone Jesus healed ultimately died. But there's a deeper healing of the heart and the soul 
that is offered by the tender mercies of God. There is a wounded love that dwells in the eternal now that is both free but costly. This is the journey of faith. And this is the journey that we will take during Lent. It's okay. It's okay um, for God to put a Band-Aid on it. (laughs) It's okay to let the love of God kiss it and make it better. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you, we're going to do something a little different here. I invite you to join me in a prayer of reflection, a unison prayer that's printed in the bulletin. Let us pray together. Most loving God, whose will it is for us to give thanks for all things, to fear nothing but the loss of you, and to cast all our care on you who care for us, preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal and which you have manifested to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I invite you to continue your worship by giving to God your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings.